All right, good morning, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to Advent Week 4. Peace with a vengeance. No. <laughs> um, uh, so I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Micah, chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Uh, a couple of things before we get into the, the meat of the sermon. Uh, first of all, congratulations to the Chastain family, who, who not only uh, led last night's family trivia night, but also won yet again. So, <laughs> so, so Laurel and, and Steve actually ran the game in, in just an excellent, it was an excellent game. Uh, with lots of Harry Potter and Narnia questions, and it was, it was just great. I, I did not do too well on the on the capitals, the world capitals, though um, world country capitals. Anyway, um, but uh, but but then the uh, the rest of the Chastains who didn't know the, the the questions, they took the the prize yet again. So they they continue to be our reigning champion family. Um, so that's cool. Uh, and uh, also, just wanted to we will have uh, service this uh, Friday night, six p.m. Christmas Eve, uh, please come, please invite a neighbor, um, and uh, we'll continue to be uh, masked in the service uh, for this Friday night, um, but uh, we are looking forward to celebrating Christmas Eve together at 6 o'clock uh, this Friday night, and we will still have a normal service uh, next Sunday. I will tell you, though, feel free, if next Sunday you want to come to church and you're like, gosh, I just don't feel like getting dressed, like, well, be, wear clothes. But, like, if you want to come, like, wearing your pajamas, like, by all means, please, like, just, you know, that, that would be, that'll be cool. So whatever, whatever you'd like, um, next Sunday, uh, we will still be uh, having worship. So um, also, before I get into the sermon, uh, we've been blessed over the past year uh, to have a couple of occasions to serve uh, the folks at Riverview Elementary uh, in Halethorpe. And this morning we have Darlene Sainville, who runs uh, basically a food pantry program for the families there at uh, Riverview, and, and she's just going to come up for a few minutes and share uh, the work that they've been doing. Darlene, uh, please welcome Darlene. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I'm a little scared to take off my mask. Uh, I just wanted to thank the Miller family, as well as the church, um, for providing assistance over the course of the pandemic. Without your help, we really would not have been able to serve our community adequately. Um, with that being said, um, I wanna say thank you on behalf of the administration as well as the students. Um, your assistance and work has provided several students with winter heavy winter coats, which they did not have prior, as well as assisting us with stocking our food pantry with non-traditional items that we found that have just become a little expensive and out of the range of our families to purchase on their own. So I truly do wanna say on behalf of everyone, thank you very much for your generosity. It does not go unnoticed and it does not go unappreciated. Um, as well as a special thanks to the parishioners that I've been able to meet over the course of the pandemic. Um, with that being said, uh, my name is Darlene Sandville. I'm a social worker at the school and I uh, work just with varying community organizations to ensure that the community is connected to the school um, and just allowing our students to understand that while they do attend Riverview, there's a larger community that extends outward that is there to support them. Um, if you do have any questions for me, um, my, I can give you my email. Uh, and Mr. Miller indicated that you can also reach out to him and he will get in contact with me if you have any additional questions that you'd like to ask me. 
Um, with that being said, my email is D, um, S as in Sam, A as in Apple, I as in Igloo, N as in Nancy, V as in Victor, I as in Igloo, L as in Linda, <laughs> at bcps.org. Um, once again, thank you very much. Thank you, Darlene. Father, we thank you for uh, the work that uh, Darlene and others are doing um, at Riverview uh, to help families in need. Um, Lord, we're uh, talking about peace today, um, and I think that uh, what better example um, of uh, the men and women of God bringing peace um, than to, to, to supply uh, needed items uh, for those in our community. Uh, Lord, we, we love how you work through us. Um, and we love how you work through, through Darlene and others at Riverview. Um, uh, amen. Uh, if anybody's interested in learning more about that, please reach out to me. Um, oh, and also Darlene, if you were able to follow along with the email. <laughs> so, all right. <clears throat> I will begin this morning with a story that has likely been told thousands of times over the past century by preachers on this Peace Week of Advent. But any story worth telling is worth repeating, right? December 25th, 1914. It had been six months since the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, who was the heir of the Austro-Hungarian throne. The assassination tripped a series of events that led to the start of the conflict that we call World War I. The war officially begins in August of 1914, and it will become the it'll become to be called the Great War, or even, ironically, the War to End All Wars. Massive armies had met on the battlefields of Europe in the first war with what could be called modern technology, a war of machine guns and chemical weapons and motorized vehicles make their way. Uh, make this war into a slaughter. 230 men are killed each hour until both sides uh, dig 25,000 miles of trenches along the Western Front in northern France. The deadly area between the trenches is known as no man's land. Many thought that the war would be over in a matter of months, but now winter is setting in, there's no end in sight, and human enemies are one thing, but the enemies of cold and wet are killing troops now in massive numbers. It is soon clear that no one will be home for Christmas. Late on Christmas Eve night, British troops, they, they're in the trenches and they begin to hear something from the German trenches. What do they hear? Singing. They don't know the words because they're singing it in German, but but they know the tune, they're singing Silent Night. Eventually the British start singing along in English and a brass band can also be heard as well. And at first light on Christmas morning, the British forces start to see German troops emerging from the trenches, unarmed, carrying lit Christmas trees, saying Merry Christmas in English. The British must have thought, oh, this is a trick, right? But slowly, the soldiers on both sides uh, came out to no man's land and began to shake the soldiers' hands. 
Technically now, consorting with the enemy is a crime just shy of treason, and those partaking in it would be subject to court-martial. But as the day went on, soldiers on both sides exchanged cigarettes and desserts, and they lit more Christmas trees around the trenches. And there was even at least one instance where a good-natured game of soccer was played. The time was, used, was even used for some to walk the fields of no man's land and collect fallen troops. Of course, it didn't last long. The fighting started back up soon after Christmas was over, and in future years, when soldiers attempted, hey, let's do that again, they requested a ceasefire on Christmas, and their hopes were quashed by officers. No, 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 we need to keep the fire hot. I think that what those men experienced that Christmas was a longing that is inside each of us, a longing for peace. This morning, we're continuing a series that we started last week called God in Our Midst. The title of the series comes from the text that we looked at last week with TD. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. In summary, God not only loves you, God likes you. Did you know that? He he likes you and he wants you to be close to him. You see, if there's any hostility between you and our God, he wants it to end. That's from the prophet Zephaniah who was writing a a few decades before the time of Daniel. But this morning, I want to go back even further. I want to go back to the mid-700s BC, about a century and a half before the time of Daniel, to the words of the prophet Micah. The book of Micah has been described as a lawsuit against God's people. See, the rise of a wealthy upper class in Israel had given way to injustice and corruption and violence and the seizure of property and failure of civil and religious leadership, not to mention good old-fashioned idolatry. Now remember, it would be wrong of us to fold our arms and shake our heads in judgment at, at, at Israel because as we learned studying the book of Daniel, these prophetic words... They don't just describe things that happened. They describe things that happen. Idolatry, injustice, leadership failure, corruption, these are all things that are alive and well. And tragically, they are alive and well in the church worldwide. The prophets talk a lot about God's wrath, right? God's righteous anger. Why do you think God was angry? He was angry at sin. He was angry at injustice. He was angry at idolatry. He was angry at at injustice, meaning treating other people, um, exploiting other people for selfish reasons. And he was angry at idolatry when, when we put other things, unworthy things, on the throne. See, it's so easy for us to forget that the reason God hates sin is because sin hurts people that God loves, namely you and me. It not only hurts the people we sin again, it hurts ourselves. The presence of sin in our lives creates a life of inner turmoil that breaks God's heart. And if God wasn't furious at human sin, he would be a bad God. As it happens, he's a loving father. Micah is is writing with with a shadow of exile looming over the people of Israel. Israel will be broken. And the empires of the world will appear to be victorious. 
But there's a hopeful message as well. Micah chapter 5. I told you all to turn there, but I should have turned there. The minor prophets are hard to find because they're so small. Micah chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Siege is happening. Exile is upon us. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, but from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient Days. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? From ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up, uh, meaning they're going to stay in exile until the time. They're gonna, the, the people of Israel have, have sinned against God, and there's going to be consequences for that. The people of Israel are going to be in exile until, until something particular happens, something specific happens, until when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the, in, get this, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, and he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he, this child who will be born of a woman in Bethlehem, this child shall be their peace. It's interesting. It doesn't say that, that he will bring peace. That happens. But, but he shall be their peace. So Micah's pointing towards Bethlehem, Ephrata, this little town south of Jerusalem, for reasons that, that Bible scholars have been debating. There's, there seems to be an overlap between Ephrata and Bethlehem. And we see kind of Micah doing that here. Um, but if I surveyed people on the street, and I asked them why Bethlehem was significant, they would probably tell me a story about a baby in a manger. But for the Jewish people, Bethlehem held a lot of significance. The road to Bethlehem was where Jacob's wife died in childbirth. Bethlehem comes into play in the book of Judges when, when Rachel um, dies in childbirth. Jacob's wife, Rachel, dies in childbirth. Bethlehem comes... Um, into play in the book of Judges when another Micah, uh, Micah asks a traveling Levite to be his priest. And perhaps most importantly, Bethlehem was where David was from. And 300 years prior, the, the prophet Samuel, he comes and he sees to, to see the sons of Jesse. And he observes them one by one and is disappointed that none of these guys are who he's looking for. You see, he's, he's looking for one who, who, whom God is going to anoint king. The elder brothers were big and strong, but God told Samuel that although the world may look at the outside of a person, see what God cares about is the heart. So these guys, I'm, no, 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 I'm not looking for any of these guys. So they go through the sons one by one, after one, after another, after another. And Samuel says, we're out of sons. Um, you got any more? And Jesse says, well, yeah. I mean, there's David. He's the kind of the runt of the litter. He's off keeping the sheep. And Samuel says, well, I'm not leaving until I see him. So Jesse calls for him, and David comes, and as soon as they see him, God tells Samuel, that's the guy. Back to Micah. Think about the stew 
of symbolism that is brewing here in Micah's prophecy. You, Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you backwoods town, from you will come a ruler who will, who will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Bethlehem is just a backwoods town, but, but God seems to be doing like great things in this little backwoods town. Oh, our God seems to make it his modus operandi to take the person, take the place, take the people group, take the people who are, are least likely to succeed by the world's standards, and then use them to change the world. Micah tells us that, that God, at God's behest, a ruler will come forth from Bethlehem who is from old, from ancient days. It reminds us of Daniel 7, right? This time of exile will continue all the way until a woman will give birth in Bethlehem. And when that happens, Micah says, the family of God shall be reunified. He will, judge, he will draw all people to himself. He'll reunify the family of God. No more will Rachel weep for her children because in this new shepherd, priest, king, God's people will dwell secure. He will stand in the strength of the Lord. He will have the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. His people will dwell secure. People to the ends of the earth, so not just Israel. People to the ends of the earth and this new family of God, for this new family of God, this one who is born, he, this ruler, shall be their peace. Now, you may know this, but the word peace is a tough word to translate. It's the Hebrew word shalom. This past fall, a bunch of us took part in the, in the Iron Men group at Grace Fellowship. And on the first night of the session, Pat Goodman, the, the guy who ran the, 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 the group, he, he asked us to think about this question. He said, guys, what do you want? I mean, Jesus asked this in a variety of ways. Pat said that we can see so often we, we, we name what we think we want, which is like, I don't know, variations of sex, power, money. Maybe it's a desired relationship like a marriage or just a friend. Maybe it's a bigger house, a better job, a child. Nothing, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But what do you want? I mean, the, the truth is, the real question, though, is, is not just what do you want. The real question is, do you want what your wants lead to? Because the question wasn't qualified. The truth is, if I'm being honest, I'm quite good at asking and answering the question, what do I want right now? Because how good am I at sacrificing what I ultimately desire for like a momentary pleasure? To be honest, I'm pretty good at that, let me tell you. I'm really good at taking what I want in the moment at the expense of what I desire in the long run, and I'm definitely really good at taking what I want in the moment of what I, at the expense of what God wants for me in the, in the long run. So Pat, he makes it real simple. He, he took a whiteboard behind him, he drew a circle on that whiteboard, and he called the circle a button. And he said, all right, guys, you get one shot. You can have anything you want, Press this button and it's yours. What do you want? We're not just talking about momentary pleasure here. We are talking about premeditated forethought. You get one chance to hit this button. What do you want? For me, I didn't have to think long. My answer was shalom. Shalom is the most often translated into English as peace. 
But we have to be careful with that because sometimes we use peace to merely mean the absence of violence. Nations will sometimes talk about peacetime, referring to seasons of history when the nation isn't engaged in active warfare, but shalom. Shalom is about much more than the absence of violence and war. It could better be translated concord, wholeness, serenity, completeness. Shalom is where everything is in its right place. My relationship with God is how it should be. My relationship with others is exactly how it should be. Everything is in its right place. It's not just about the absence of violence. It's not just about a ceasefire. It's about the end of the war. It's about the end of hostility. Our country has had several seasons when we weren't fighting a war, but has there ever been an end to the hostility? When everything sad becomes untrue. There are a lot of different approaches we could take to this, but for today, I, I want to ask the question, are you at peace with yourself? You know, it's easy to look outward and say, oh, I can see that there's all kinds of things, there's all kinds of hostility out there, and the news is a wreck, and I can't believe that the world's at the place that it's in right now, and, and God says, oh, we'll get to that in a minute. I, I, we have a job to do out there, but, but right now, at this moment here on Advent 4, Peace Week, I want to ask the question, are you at peace with yourself. When you look inward and you think about your place in the world and you think about your job and your family and your vices and your addictions and your anger and your joy and your hope and your kids and your ability to love others, are you at peace with yourself? Now, if the answer is yes, praise God, I'm glad you're here. If the answer is no, I'm very glad you're here. I want you to know that we offer no quick fixes, but we do offer hope. A few days ago, I saw this video online of a man giving a, a testimony. Now, a testimony in, in church speak is the story of a person's life. It's a, it's a confession in that we confess with our mouths the, the when, what, where, and how of our surrender to Jesus. So this video went on about 10 minutes, and this guy talked about drug abuse and anger and a failed marriage. He described himself, he says, you know, who, I, who was I before Jesus? I was an angry, cynical, jaded, foul-mouthed human being. He wasn't pulling any punches about himself. He said that his life had been an inner turmoil, and he said it all came to, in, in bright view on one occasion. He flipped out of his, uh, added his wife over, over a little thing, some cheese that had been left in the refrigerator or in the garbage or something, and he flips out at her, and, and the next thing he knew, he was screaming at her uncontrollably on a chair. Just this rage had taken over. There, there was something inside of him that just this little thing tricked something, and the next thing he knew, he's screaming at his wife. And later on, he found out that his son had heard, because how could he not? And his son said to him, as he, as he tucked his son into bed that night, he said, Daddy, you win. And he said, what do you mean? And the son said, you win. Because when you scream at mommy, she cries. And he said, that just brought me to my knees. And it didn't change everything in that moment, right? It, it's not like, you know, Everything was just a flick of a switch. Everything got better. No, it, it started an eight-year journey for him, seeking God and going through drug recovery and coming to terms with 
that inner darkness that was within. Apparently, a friend had given him a bunch of sermon tapes, and when he had heard the sermon on Genesis 1, of all things, that was when the scales started falling from his eyes, and he read this word, these words, in the beginning God. Francis Schaeffer had called that verse the most pregnant verse in Scripture because everything else comes from it, right? He called this Christian friend, and he told him for the first time in his life, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm actually, I actually believe that there is a God, but there's a problem, the friend said, what's the problem? And he said, well, my, my life, is, it's a wreck. My life is in turmoil. I have all this rage in me I don't know what to do with. Why would God want me? And the friend said, have you gotten to the cross yet? And he said, no, no, not yet. I, I'm, I'm still working through stuff. Uh, what, what's that all about? The friend said, well, I don't want to spoil the ending for you. But he continued to search, asking, seeking, knocking, and in the end, he said that the the thing that finally did it for him was that he realized that Christianity is the only true worldview that tells the strong among the weak to uh, tells the strong among us to reach back and help the weak. He said, "I, "I realized that when the world breaks a human being, they're just thrown into the trash trash heap. When the world breaks a man, they cast him off into the nothingness. But when God breaks a man," When God breaks a human being, he does it for a reason. And that reason is to build him back up into something better, to build build himself, to build this, this person back up into a new creation. I believe that the reason God breaks a man is to remind that person that that he is not God, but it's also to remind him that Jesus is. In Jesus Christ is the one born of a woman in Bethlehem, the one who took on flesh and went to the cross to die for the sins of humanity. He is our shepherd. He is our priest. He is our king. He is our redeemer. He is our everlasting father. Jesus Christ is our prince of peace. We talk a lot about name tags every now and then. This is one of the things that New Hope has talked about over the years. There's two name tags in the world, God and not God. And, you know, we all get the the name tag that says not God. But Jesus, Jesus had the name tag God. Turn to Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul, he says this about Jesus For he himself, this is starting in verse 14, uh, chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, uh, meaning Jew plus Gentile. God is reunifying the family of God, Jew plus Gentile, into one family, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Where does peace come from? It comes from the cross. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place 
for God by the Spirit. (laughs) The church, it's not a building. The church is a people whom the Holy Spirit dwells. That's like we dwell secure in God because he dwells in us. See, Jesus comes to end the hostility. Jesus comes to bring shalom. And while wars and rumors of wars are going to continue, the news media is going to keep telling us about all this hostility. We know that Jesus has come to bring us peace with God by dying on the cross and being raised in resurrection glory. That means a lot of things on kind of a cosmic level. Even in Ephesians, it talks about how in Christ, God is unifying all things. All things mean like all things, like cosmic reconciliation. But, but right now, I want to ask you the question, have you surrendered your life to the only one who can bring true peace? Jesus is the author of peace. He is the author of shalom, and I need you to know that nothing, nothing, nothing in your past is so dark that the light cannot overcome it. If you've never read Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy, you should do that in 2022. It's a masterpiece. He closes the book by talking about shalom, specifically as the thing we will be employed at in the new creation. What will your job be in heaven? It will be to live out a life of shalom. Our relationship with God being exactly the way our relationship with God should be. Our relationship with others being exactly as it should be. Quoting St. Augustine, he says, This eternal blessedness of the city of God is presented as a perpetual Sabbath. There we will rest and see, see and love, love and praise. This is what shall be in the end without end. For what other end do we propose to ourselves than to attain to the kingdom of which there is no end? Willard says, here we see peace, shalom as wholeness, as as fullness of function, as the restful but unending creativity involved in a cosmos-wide cooperative pursuit of a created order that continuously approaches but never fully reaches the limitless goodness and greatness of the triune personality of God, its source. Shalom is not just an aspiration. It's not a pipe dream. It's not even just our way of life, although it is. Shalom is our inheritance. It is our destiny. On one hand, when we look at the news or even look inward at our lives, it is easy to think that shalom is just a, just a dream, that that's where we have to remember Micah's words. That Jesus wouldn't just bring peace, the kind of peace that would be like on our terms, right? The kind of peace that just kind of looks like a ceasefire. No, Jesus came to be our peace. And when the world rages in him, we have peace with God. And that, that's what truly matters. He came to be the one. Jesus came to be the one in whom true peace is possible. Our call is not to shake our heads at the world's hostility and turn the other other way. No, actually, we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit as the people of God to be a moving, holy temple of the Holy Spirit, one that would bring the gospel message of peace and shalom to a world that desperately needs it. As Christ's church, we are called to embody peace 
We're called as, as Jesus was the incarnation, God in our midst, the dwelling of God with his people. We are called to embody that peace that's in a similar way for the world. We're called to embark on a ministry of reconciliation, bringing healing where there was once hostility. But if all that seems unreachable, please know that shalom, peace with God, is offered to you right here, right now. God desires peace so much that he lived among us to show us how we should live. I mean, you think about it, I mean, the, the nations were raging at the time of Jesus. It's not like Jesus just came onto the scene and everything just fell into its right place, you know? No, when Jesus did his earthly ministry, even as Jesus died on the cross, even as Jesus rose from the grave, the nations were raging. But shalom was happening on a level that was much different than the world sees because the world sees the outside. The world looks at the superficial, but God, God looks at the heart and that's what Jesus was interested in bringing. That's where shalom has to start with the heart. I mean, the truth is Bethlehem is hardly a peaceful city today. Read the news, it's a dangerous place to be if you ever decide to visit the Holy Land. You'll, you'll probably be able to get in and out of the holy sites because the people there know that their economy is dependent on tourism, but it's still part of the West Bank. The violence and hostility wouldn't be far. You know, starting this Friday, Christmas Eve, we're going we're gonna to continue this series, God in Our Midst, by beginning a study of the book of John, one of the four biographies of, of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew and, and Luke, they begin their stories discussing the events that took place in Bethlehem on that holy night. John, John begins the story in a different way. He begins with the word becoming flesh. More on that on Friday. For now, I, I want to leave you with the, the words of a, of a pastor I follow. Brian, named Brian Zond. He's a great guy. And he says, Christ is not just born in the beautiful places of our lives, as if we live in the, like, idyllic bubble of a snow globe. Christ, Jesus Christ is also born in the war-torn places of our lives, the war-torn places of our world, littered with rubber bullets and tear gas containers. Jesus was not born into a fairy tale, but into the world as it is. And so during Advent, we hold to Micah's ancient prophecy, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And in this one, in this Jesus, shall be our peace. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, we pray for shalom today. I just ask um, in prayer for, for my friends here today to, to name it. Maybe not out loud, maybe out loud, I don't know. What, what's the garbage? What's the darkness? What's the turmoil? Is my marriage in trouble? Is, is my relationship with my kids in trouble? Have I been underperforming at work and getting away with it? I, I don't know. If my relationship with my parents are in trouble, I, I don't know. Name it. Nobody else has to hear it but, but, but you and God. Father, I just ask that, that we, as we name those things, those, those points of darkness in our lives, as we think about like the word of our sin and then we think 
that you desire to bring us shalom. You desire to bring us peace. You desire to put everything in its right place. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be just the flick of a, of a switch. There's going to be a journey, and, and thank God that we are here together, that we are a community who gets to have this journey of peace and shalom together, reminding each other of, of what the, the, the peaceful life looks like. Father, help remind us as a community to, that, that each of us, no matter how dark our past is, that each of us is offered peace today. Peace in you because of your de- the death on the cross, your sacrificial love that, that not only is the, is, the, is the means of our redemption, but it is the method of our ministry. Father, help us to be um, an embodiment of shalom as we take sacrificial love out to the world that desperately needs it as we serve those in need, as we clothe those who are in need of clothes. Father, help us to to focus on the practical needs, help us to focus on the spiritual needs, the mental needs, the emotional needs, the social needs. Father, we look for a holistic faith, a holistic faith that is entirely 100% committed to walking towards your kingdom of shalom. And it's in the most holy name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.